0: This podcast is brought to you by Living Waters Church, Kayabarum. You can visit us at www.lwkayabarum.com. If you get your Bible tonight, let's turn to Genesis chapter 17. How are you going up the back? Doing alright? Good. I was going to ask you all to move up the front, but anyway, I'll just hang out up here by myself. It won't make you feel uncomfortable. I've entitled my message tonight, Faith on Trial. And um, I actually had this message a number of weeks ago. It was a mess- that night where we didn't get to preach. Where I just prophesied over our district and over our, our, our city and et cetera. So this message has been burning in my heart for a little while. And, um, you know, I've been at conference all week, so I've sat under some pretty awesome ministry and, and that sort of stuff. And so, you know, it was like I, I was sitting there and I was saying, well, God, what, do you still want me to preach what you'd laid on my heart? And he said, yes, I do. I laid it on your heart for a reason. And even though there was a little bit of a detour that night, uh, it was about three or four weeks ago, there was a little bit of a detour when it came to the preaching of the word. Um, he said, you know what? This word is in there for a reason. So I'm just going to extract. Is it all right if I extract something out of my heart and my spirit tonight? Because I, I feel that it's a spirit word for us. I, I feel like it's a, it, it, it's a word in season for us, not only as a church, but also as an area as well. And so um, the title is uh, Faith on Trial. And so what happens in life is there's things that come to test our faith. You know, there's, there's things that come to rattle our faith. There's things that come to just basically out of the blue. And if you've ever had that experience where everything is going fine, and then all of a sudden it's like, well, hang on a minute. I wasn't expecting that. You know, last year I got a phone call and it, it was a phone call that it was like, it, it didn't shake my faith, but you know what? It was a like, well, where's this coming from? Where's this? And, and it was a test to my mind. It was a test to my, to, to, to my faith in that aspect because basically it just really came out of nowhere. And often that's what happens. And there's things in life that come. But if we're not careful, we confuse what's a test of faith and what is actually normal life. And the Holy Spirit's just been speaking to me about the fact that don't confuse what is your normal journey in life and something that is a test of faith. And we're going to look at it tonight, uh, that thought around the life of a man called Abraham. Because Abraham was a man who God tested, actually uses the word God tested him. And so um, in Genesis chapter 17, um, you can just fade out and sit down whenever you feel like you want to sit down. I could have you playing all the time, but because I like it, it's good. But up to you. If you want to stay there, you can. But if not, you can fade out and sit down and take notes, because taking notes is good, is it not? Man, I, I took furious notes at the conference. I sat there and I thought, I am one that gets up every meeting and says, "You should be taking notes." Got your Bibles? Have you got your Bibles at the back? Yeah. Someone, went, someone said to me tonight, are, "Are you preaching?" I said, "Yep." I better go and get my Bible then. <laughs> I love it. I love the fact that you know people know, well, okay, when Pastor Trevor's preaching, we need our Bible, because no use preaching theory, no use preaching on the Book of Reader's Digest, or the book of some encyclopedia, or the Dick Book of um, Wikipedia or something like that. So Genesis chapter 17 verse one, it says, "When Abram was 99 years old, anyone 99 years old here tonight? On the way. When Abram was 99 years of old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you uh, by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. I love what it says in the New Living Translation because this is the promise that was given to Abram. He said this, serve me faithfully, live blamelessly, because I'm about to make a covenant with you. I'm about to guarantee, I love the word guarantee, I'm going to guarantee to give you countless descendants. Now I look at that and that's a promise, is it not? I think it's a promise. So you've got this bloke who's 99 years old, he's old. I mean, let's face it, When you go to the maternity ward, there's not too many dads who are 100 plus walking around with little babies in their arms. And if they are, you're going, hey, grandpa. And he goes, nah, it's mine. It's not normal. And, And so here's the promise, though, that God gave him. It's a word set in concrete. It's a guarantee. If God spoke it, guess what? It's a guarantee. It's not a maybe should be hopeful. It's a guarantee there's a guarantee in this statement that God says not only will I make a covenant with you but I guarantee that you will have countless descendants it's the promise it's the guarantee you can go and put your hat on that hang your hat on it you can go to the bank with that you know you can look at that and because God guaranteed it at this verse 3 Abram fell face down to the ground, when God said to him, then God said to him, this is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of multitude of nations. What's more, I'm changing your name. You will no longer be called Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham. For you will be the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations and kings will be among them what a promise not only is he getting descendants he's also getting nations i will confirm my covenant with you and with your descendants after you from generation to generation this is the everlasting covenant i will always be your god and the god of your descendants after you and i will give you the entire land of canaan where you are now living as a foreigner to you and your descendants, it will be their possession forever. I will be their God. What a great promise. Now we know if you've been in church any amount of time, you probably know the story of Abraham, how there was a delay in receiving the promise. And we often preach that, what to do in the delay. I've preached messages on this, what to do in the delay. And I actually wonder whether it was a delay or not. Maybe it was actually God's timing. Maybe there were some things that Abraham had to establish in his life before Isaac could be born. Maybe there's some things that he needed to sort out in his own being before Isaac could be born. And this is what God said to me, um, or the Holy Spirit said to me as I was preparing this message a number of weeks ago. He said this. He said, this was the promise. It wasn't the test. Come on, church. It was the promise. It wasn't the test. There was a guarantee to the word. And, and, you know, we often look at it as uh, though it's like, well, here's the test to Abraham's faith because he's old, because Sarah was old. It's like, you know, that's where the test is. And we hear messages around the fact that the test came to Abraham when because he was old, he had to believe and he did things in his own strength and had an Ishmael and all that sort of stuff. I actually don't think we've got to not confuse the promise with the test because the promise was a guarantee. It's written in there, I think. Did we not read it? I will guarantee. And so often what happens is it's not the matter of a test of our faith. It's a matter of us believing the promise. It's a matter of us getting there and going, you know what, God, you said it, so therefore I'm going to believe it and I'm going to stand on that word regardless of what circumstance may say. I can imagine Abraham going back to his friends and family and say, guess what, I'm going to be a dad. And they went, hmm? They went, really? Let's go to biology 101. Let's talk about the fruitfulness of a womb that's dried up. Let's talk about the ability to be able to impart seed into someone's life when you're at an old age. I want to tell you, if you're old in this place, you can still impart seed into people's lives. Come on, let's talk spirit. Let's talk spirit. It doesn't matter how old you are. You know, it doesn't matter how many gray hairs you may have. You know, It doesn't matter how many hairs you don't have. It doesn't matter if you're young, whether you're old. It doesn't matter. You know, I was reminded of a testimony my mum was talking about um, just the other week where it was like when she was a little kid, she wanted to get baptised, her and her brother, and um, they said, you're not old enough to be baptised. And they were like, well, we want to get baptised. They knew what baptism was all about. And then what happened was the next week in church, they're sitting in the front row and these little kids start speaking in tongues in the Holy Spirit and the elders looked at each other and go, well, I guess if the Holy Spirit does that, we should water baptise them. (laughs) They looked at their age and went, "Mm, I don't know. I don't know, you know. And then I hear stories of people who are six, seven, eight years old prophesying in church. I got a friend whose daughter at the age of 6 or 7 was a prophet. She walked up to him one day and she said, Dad, you're doing this, this and this. You need to stop it. And he went, oh, my goodness, I'm in trouble. My little 6 or 7-year-old is a prophet. See, age isn't a barrier to God. It's not a barrier because it's about the promise. Because he promises he'll pour his spirit out on sons and daughters. Doesn't actually say you've got to be 18. Doesn't say you've got to be 19. Doesn't say you've got to be 33. Doesn't say, I mean, Mary was about 14 when she had Jesus. I mean, that just does my head in. I mean, in today's world, that's just wrong. But, you know, culturally, that's what happened back in those days. And, and you know, there's, there's this moment where it's like God says, hey, here's a guarantee for you. Not, not, just a, not just a promise, it's a guarantee for you. I will make you. I will guarantee. I will. Guarantee, And so don't confuse the promise with the test. Because if God has said it, guess what? That's it. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Let's go to Genesis, what chapter are we in, 17? Excellent. Let's jump down to verse 15. Then God said uh, to Abraham, notice he's changed his name already. Then God said to Abraham, regarding Sarai, your wife, her name will no longer be Sarai, but from now on her name will be Sarah. And she will bless and I will bless her and give you a son from her. Now it's important that, G, that God speaks this into Abraham's life. Why? Because the Bible tells us that Sarai was also old, and therefore her womb was closed. And then what happens is God says, no, through Sarai, or through Sarah, your wife, you'll receive a son. And this is the problem when, when I asked Abraham and Sarah got together and said, well, maybe God meant, maybe God meant that, that you know, you were going to have descendants through um, my maidservant. Maybe we need to manufacture the promise. Can I encourage you? You never need to manufacture the promise. They needed to remember the second part of the promise. The second part of the promise was this. I'll read it again for you in case you missed it. Then God said to Abraham, regarding Sarah, your wife, her name will no longer be Sarai. From now on, she will be Sarah. And I will bless her and give her you a son from her. Yes, I will bless her richly and she will become the mother of many nations. Kings of nations will, will be among her descendants. Now, when the enemy comes to you and says, Well, you need to give up on the promise. You know what you need to do? You need to say, no, hang on, God said. This is the promise. The promise stands for, we shouldn't need to be tested in the promise because if God says it, then it's going to happen. When God says it, it's going to come forth. And so every time Abraham, you know, went to bed with Sarah and that month no baby was produced, you know what he needed to do? He needed to just remind himself of the promise because that wasn't where the test was. The test was to come. And, oh man, I, I felt a stirring in my heart that, you know, even through the last two years, because there's been lots of COVID talk, this talk, that talk, and flap, 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 you know, and, and I've heard lots of people saying that, you know, oh, COVID has really tested our faith. Why has COVID tested our faith? Why is shutting down a church service has our faith been tested? I want to encourage you, that wasn't the test. There's a test coming to our nation that is going to far outweigh churches being shut down. <laughs> I saw it this week when I was at conference. I saw it this week when I was at conference. God gave me a little bit of glimpse into what's going to happen. A number of years ago, it was about, oh, it must have been 20 years ago now, God spoke to me a word and he said there was four waves going to come against the nation of Australia. And since that word, those four waves have come against in those four areas that he spoke to me about. And at conference he said this, he said, COVID hasn't been a test. Honestly, it hasn't because your faith, whether you're in lockdown or whether you're out of lockdown, should be the same, should it not? You know why? Because it's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I know for some people it was a proving ground. It actually showed where their faith was. It actually showed, you know, because I had lots of people and, you know, if you're watching online and you're one of these people, you know, I'm not having a go at you tonight, but you need to think about what I'm saying because I had lots of people say to me during that two-year period, oh, we can't wait to get back in church and lots of those people I haven't seen back in church yet, you know, and, and so it's like, well, why not? Because in that period, their love for God and their love for the church actually drew cold. And they found other things. They found other methods to fulfill a void in their life that only Jesus can, can fill. And we need to be careful that we don't forget the promise and try and manufacture something ourselves. What verse are we up to? Shevardnin? Shevardnin. Thanks. You're a gentleman and a scholar. Then Abraham bowed down to the ground, but he laughed to himself in disbelief. How could I become a father at the age of a 100, he thought. And how can Sarah have a baby when she is 90 years old? I don't blame Abraham. And you know what I found with God? He doesn't mind us asking the question. Well, how can this be, God? But don't forget the promise. In the inquiring, don't forget the promise. Don't forget the promise how can Sarah have a baby when she's 90 years old? So Abraham said to God, maybe Ishmael, um, may, may Ishmael live under your special blessing. See, it's this trade-off where it's like, well, here's the promise, here's the guarantee, but he's already had Ishmael at this point, And so now he's bargaining with God. Well, well, maybe, maybe, but he's forgotten that God says, no, through Sarah, through Sarah, this blessing is going to come. And look at verse 19. I love it. But God said, no, That's what he said. He said, no. I want to tell you, when you forget the promise, God is going to say no. When you go to God and go to him, well, maybe this is no. And if I could just get one thing through you tonight, because I've got a lot more to say in a minute, is when you forget the promise, remember the no. When you try and bargain off the promise, remember the no. Because if God said it, he's guaranteed it. No, Sarah, your wife, will give birth to, you, uh, to a son for you. You will name him Isaac and I will confirm my covenant with him and his descendants as, everla- as an everlasting covenant. Not only, see, in the questioning, in the questioning, God didn't go, Abraham, you evil man, I need to find someone else. what he did was he reaffirmed his covenant and not only did he reaffirm the covenant he actually broadened it he said this he said no Sarah is going to give you a child and you will call him Isaac more revelation came see this this, it's it's a conversation we have with God because it's a personal relationship we have with him all right let's jump a verse and go down to 21 but my covenant will be confirmed with Isaac who will be born to you and Sarai about this time next year. The promise, revelation comes again about the promise. Okay, Abraham, get ready. Now's the time to paint the crib. Now's the time to paint the room. Now's the time to organize a baby shower. Now's the time, because it's about to happen. This time next year, when God had finished speaking, he left Abraham. So I want to encourage you that the promise was already there. In actual fact, not only was the promise already there, the promise was always there. The promise was always there. When he was confused about what he should be doing in life, the promise was there. When he was, had doubt raging in his mind, and when Sarah was coming to him creating doubt in his mind, guess what? The promise was always there. Come on, church. When they tried to work things out for themselves, the promise was already there. When they took matters into their own hands, guess what? The real promise was still there. Oh. So it doesn't matter the phase you're in tonight, your promise is still there. <laughs> come on, church. It doesn't matter how much people have said, I'll oh, just give up. Guess what? The promise is still there. It doesn't matter how many times family members have come to you and said, well, maybe you missed the boat, the promise is still there doesn't matter how many times, you know, your, your own mind has wandered. The promise is still there. Why? Because it's a guarantee, a covenant from God Almighty. So let's talk about the test. Let's go to Genesis chapter 22. Not only has the promise come to birth, but the promise is now a child. The promise is now growing up. Verse 21, uh, 20, sorry, chapter 20, verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Here's the test. The promise isn't the test. I'll say it again, the promise is normal life. Honestly, church, the promise is normal life. It's it's about our trust. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here am I. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. That's a test. Honestly, church, that's the test. The promise is here and now God is saying, come on, I want the promise back. I want to take the promise away from you. I want to take the guarantee away from you. And, and, you know, uh, we get the abbreviated version. You know, it's like the book of Acts. The book of Acts is an abbreviated version of the early church. And sometimes people say to me, why aren't we like the book of Acts? You know, well, the book of Acts was written over 40 years. Not just a two-week period like some people think it was. It was a book that was written over a 40-year period, the birth of the church, the establishment of the church. And and we need to understand that in life there's things that we just need to hang on to because God said. That's what we've got to do. Just got to hang on to it because God said. Because the promise is there. And it doesn't matter what stage of life we're in, guess what? The promise is there. We've had some awesome promises prayed over this place and spoken over this place. Every one of them is still real. Every one of them is still valid. And you might say, well, why haven't we seen it burst forth yet? Well, guess what? It's still there. I don't care about your lack of faith in those areas because if God said, it's still going to happen. <laughs> Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go to and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. The next morning, Abraham got up early, he saddled his donkey, he took his two servants with him, along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for the burnt offering and set out for a place God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little further, we will worship the Lord there, then we will come right back. I love it. What did God ask him to do? Spins our minds out as New Testament believers. Asked him to go and sacrifice his son as a burnt offering. And so when he sees the mountain, when he sees the place, when he gets a vision of the place that God was sending him to, he said this to his servant: you stay here and look after the donkey. You are on donkey duties. Never be afraid to be on donkey duties in church. It's all okay because donkeys need to be looked after some days. And so there's this moment where it's like Abraham then says this to the servant, he says, look after the donkeys, look after this. Me and the boy, we will go to where God is telling us and we will return. I love it. I love it. See, the test for Abraham was that God's still going to do what God said he's going to do. The promise is still going to ring true. Even though I'm being asked to do something that is a little bit confusing to my mind, I am going to trust God and not on my own understanding. In actual fact, I am going to stand so firm on the promise that I'm going to make a declaration to everyone around me, we're going but we're coming back. Verse 6, So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulder and while he himself carried the fire and the knife. Then the two of them walked together. Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son. Abraham replied, we have the fire, we have the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son. Abraham uh, Abraham answered and they both walked on together. When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on top of the wood, on, on, on the altar, on top of the wood. Then Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord uh, called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Do not lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in, in, uh, by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham named the place uh, Yahweh Yireh or Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. To this day, the people still use that name as a proverb, on the mountain of the Lord, the Lord will provide. Amazing. Now you might say to him, oh, I'm glad that the angel of the Lord yelled out. I'm glad that the angel of the Lord yelled out. Well, Hebrews tells us that Abraham was so sure of the promise by this stage and his faith was so strong that the promise was going to be a reality by this stage that Hebrews tells us that Abraham's faith was so sure that even if he slayed his son, he knew God would bring him back to life. See, there was a shift that started to happen. There was a shift that started to happen. He went from, well, maybe, to not only believing the promise, but the test of his faith was so strong that it was the proving ground. So if you're taking notes, number one, the proving is made in the test, not in the promise. You've probably already got a few notes, have you? That's all right. They're the bonus bits. The proving is made in the test, not in the promise. It's actually in the test that the proving's made. See, it wasn't until... And that statement where the angel of the Lord says to Abraham, You know, now I know, now I know, always confused me as a little kid. Because, you know, God knows everything, does He not? He knows the beginning from the end. And so, you know, that 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 you know, it's like, Well, now I know, well, God, you already knew. God, you already knew. And God's going, Yes, I did. <laughs> Why do you think I sent him to the mountain? Why do you think I was able to test him? Because I knew what would happen. Because this is It's what God says to you as an individual, as a New Testament believer. He will never put you through a trial that you cannot handle. So why do we fret in the trial? Why do we worry in the trial? Because let's talk about what I'm talking about here tonight. The promise is for you tonight as a New Testament believer, God will not put you through anything you can't handle. Because of his blood covenant... He said he will not put you through anything that you cannot handle. And even when it gets to the point where you can't handle it, he will even be gracious and he will provide a way for escape for you, the Bible says. That's his grace in operation. And yet in the middle of the trial, we're going, I don't think I can handle this. I don't think I can live with this. God, you have no idea and no clue what it's like to be me. You don't know what it's like. I went through an experience in church once as a pastor where I felt like the church was trying to kill me. So I felt like, so I went to Jesus and I said, gee, you have no idea. You have no idea what the church can do to someone. And he went, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. You uh huh, me God. You have no idea. He goes, well, (laughs) he's going to say he told me to suck it up, princess. (laughs) He actually reminded me of what the church did to him. (laughs) Well, I repented real fast that day he's not afraid of those conversations. We're afraid of the answer, though, and that's the problem. That's the problem. So proving is made in the test. Point number two, I'm going to go through these points pretty quick because time's gone. Obedience opens the door to revelation. Your obedience in the test actually opens a door to revelation. I am so glad that Abraham journeyed to the mountain with a donkey, a couple of servants, and his son. Why? Because out of that experience, we today live off the revelation of Abraham and Isaac. It's called Jehovah Jireh, our provider. I remember, I'm a child of the 70s. Now, I remember, in, in, I think it was probably in the 80s, we used to sing a song, Jehovah Jireh, our provider. We used to sing it and you know I liked it because it had a bit of a backbeat to it. It was good. It wasn't a, anyway, I better not go there. <laughs> it wasn't one of them funeral marches. It was a good song. See, we still sing about it today. We still talk about it today. The God is Jehovah Jireh, our provider. And so I've preached this next thing that I'm going to say, but I'm going to mention it again because I think it's important. Because we don't understand what's coming up the other side of our mountain when we're trekking up the mountain. All we can see when we're going up the mountain is we can just see a couple of servants, a donkey, the son we've got to sacrifice, the wood, the fire, and ourselves. We don't see the ram coming up the other side of the mountain. I mean it's a great message. You should look it up one day. No, it was a good message. I remember preaching it, so it must have been all right. Because when Abraham this, this is the way I see it, when Abraham, because Abraham was looking for the ram. He was out there actively looking for the provision of God. And so that ram wasn't there when he laid the sun on the altar. Otherwise he would have gone, hey, look, there's there it is, there it is, there it is. No, it wasn't until the death hour. It wasn't until the final hour, and you know, it wasn't until maybe even Abraham was having that conversation with the angel of the Lord that the sheep was walking up the other strand, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, hang on, I'm caught, and this can't be good. <laughs> There's a bloke over there with fire and knife. And so, can I encourage you tonight that obedience will actually open the door to revelation? And because Abraham was obedient, because Isaac was obedient, because Isaac didn't run away, you know. Again, we get the abbreviated. I don't know what the conversation would have been with Isaac as he's starting to be bound. Dad, what are you doing? It's okay, son. You're the promised child. God's faithful. God's faithful. It'll be okay. God will provide. And then there's that moment where it's like, because they still today say that the Lord will provide on the mountain. So obedience actually opens the door to revelation. Okay, point number three. God is the same God who gives the promise as he is through the test. He doesn't change. He's the same God. In the middle of the test, you just need to remind yourself some days he's the same God that gave the promise. Still God. Our New Testament Bible says it this way, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Can I encourage you that forever is a long time? I learnt that through my son one day. Because in disciplining my son, my eldest, firstborn and heir, in disciplining him, because he's the strong child, I worked out that Smacks did not help. Didn't help. He just gritted his teeth and, bring it on, Dad. That was him. But I learned that if I take privileges away, oh will touch a nerve. And so there was a moment where he was a naughty little son, and I said to him, that's it, I'm taking your PlayStation away forever, because I was angry. And so what I did was, being a kind and compassionate, loving father, I put it where he could lie in his bed at night and look at it, just up on the shelf so he could look at it. And I remember going in one night, this was a little bit later, a couple of days later, and he's lying in bed crying. And I said, what's wrong, mate? He goes, Dad, forever's a long time. Forever is a long time, Dad. And I realised what I said as a parent that I didn't mean as a parent. And so I said to him, oh, mate, I'm sorry about that. I actually didn't mean forever. I just meant for a really, really long time. You get it back when you're 35. No, I didn't. In actual fact, it it broke my heart as a dad and I think I gave it back to him the next day. Forever was short that day for him. Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. You know what that means? That means he's the same giving the promise as in the test but also after the test. And if we're not careful, we forget. We forget that he's still the same God after the test. You know, there's there's a thing in my life that I hate that when things are going okay, as humans, we tend to drift. When everything's cruising, that's why Australia doesn't need Jesus in their mind because everything's okay, you know. But God's not going to let that continue. And There's a shaking coming to our nation that's going to open people's eyes to the reality of their need for salvation. I've been praying these prayers. God, whatever it takes to bring revival, do it dangerous prayers so don't come to me next year if the whole economy falls down and everything falls apart and this and that happens and that happens and this happens and go oh it's terrible no it's not, it's just a shaking it's just the shaking it's just the shaking I have a friend in Mildura who was an ex motorcycle policeman and he was chasing a couple of hoons in Werribee and what they did was when he turned his lights on and chased them they turned their car around and they ran him down and because they ran him down, he was maimed on one side of his body. He lost an eye and he had an acquired brain injury. And I used to pray for him every Sunday that God would heal him. And he said to me, Kevin's his name, he said to me one day, he said, Pastor Trevor, I am so glad that those two hoons ran me down. So like, why? Why would you be glad? You've only got one eye. Like why, why, why would you be glad? And he said, because if that hadn't happened, I wouldn't be in church today. And I actually said this to him. I said, Kevin, better to get into heaven with one eye than with two eyes. Honestly, I still believed. I still pray for him, <laughs> you know, because why not? <laughs> but, you know, it was like, what a test me. What a test me. And you know what he's saying? He's saying, you know what? Even though I've been through a test and a trial and a horrible situation, God's still God. It's still okay. It's still okay. So, faithful, last point, number four. Faithful obedience takes the promise and moves it into our destiny. Faithful obedience takes the promise and moves it into our destiny. Moves it into today. That's what faith is all about. Faith is about bringing those things unseen as if they were seen. So, so what Jesus said to God said to him, I will promise. I will make provision for the promise in our life. In New Testament, Jesus made provision for our salvation. And Isaac carrying wood to an altar is a type. In the Old Testament, there's types, pictures of Christ. And Isaac carrying the wood to a place of sacrifice is a picture of Christ carrying his cross to Golgotha. His promise is this, is that if you call on the name of Jesus Christ, you will be saved. That's a promise. You can take that again to the bank. You know, that's, that's done. The Bible says anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Can I encourage you tonight that if you don't know Jesus' personal Lord and Saviour, whether you're here in this building, whether you're watching online, I'm about to give you opportunity to go, Jesus, I need your salvation. I need your salvation because there was provision made. Just as there was a ram that was made, Jesus made provision for us so that not only can we be whole in salvation, but we can also hold to the promises of the New Testament as well. So let's stand up. Maybe in this place tonight you've never accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour of your life, and you would like to do that in this moment. Probably the easiest way in this online, in-person scenario is for us just to say this prayer, and if you've never accepted Jesus as Lord and Saviour, I'd encourage you to say it with all your might because you're going to about to ask Jesus Christ into your life. And so we, as family, are going to say this as well, and we're going to believe, and, and, and maybe in your life, it's like you know you've wandered. It's like the promises are, well, you know what? I just don't know. I just don't know. And even the fact, because I want to tell you, it was a challenge to speak about the promise as not the test. Honestly, because some people think that it's a test to believe in the promise. No, it's not, because he's true. He's faithful. He's just. What he says is. He establishes it. He establishes it. You know, his plan right from day one for Abraham was that through Sarah, he would have a son and there was going to be a moment when that son would be offered as a sacrifice but he had a ram already picked out to take the place. So he already knew that before he asked the question. Before he came to Abraham... But because Abraham's obedience, his name was changed to start with, and we have the nation of Israel today, direct descendants. So I'm just simply going to pray a prayer of salvation, and I want everyone here just to say it along. But if you've never said this prayer before, or if you're saying it as a recommitment, can I encourage you to say it from the bottom of your heart? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I thank you that Jesus was willing to take my sin upon himself. Jesus, I repent of my sin and I turn to you as Lord and Savior. I ask you to come into my heart to become the ruler of my life. My personal Lord and Savior, I thank you that from this moment on, there is no darkness in me. Your light has come. Give me the courage to live your promises in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to today's podcast from Living Waters Church, Kyabram. Don't forget, you can find us at www.lwkyabrum.com.